Welcome, everybody, once again to the Why God Why podcast. I Once again, I am John Amayo, and right next to me here is Peter Engler, and we are ready to talk about our topic of the day. Our topic of the day is actually something that's really profound, and I think in my experience talking with people has been one of the major hangups that people have is they think about, hey, can I really follow God or not? Like, if you had a question to ask God, I feel like this is one of the top three questions that would be out there. So I'm excited about asking it. Basically, it's this question right here. Why, if God is really in control, is the world so messed up? If God's really in control, why is the world so messed up? We have with us one of our uh, good friends, also both of our pastor, and uh, his name is Rob Catalani. And Rob has been an influence in Peter and in my lives, both of us, and uh, has really led uh, a church through a lot of transition time. On top of that, though, he is just someone who has really internalized a pain in his own life and has taken that and really transitioned it into making an impact for God. I think Rob is super vulnerable in our conversation. There's a couple of points in here that really um, are real, and I think you're going to respect him even more after this conversation. If you if you don't know him, you're going to love him after this conversation. What do you what else do you got to say about this? Thanks thanks John. I um you know, Rob is the type of uh, is the type of person that you meet and I've known him for 6 years and um, he's still bringing up new things to me. You know, Rob uh, got his master's of, uh, I believe, master of divinity, but his THM from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's got an undergrad degree from University of Rochester. And, you know, he served as a missions pastor. He also served on a short-term missionary in Kosovo during wartime. And when you hear his story and testimony, you're you're kind of brought to someone that hasn't just answered this question intelligently, but has had to answer this question from experience. Mm. So I think that that's the greatest value that Rob gives. You know, he is an inspiring uh, visionary communicator. So this is definitely one of the podcasts that you're going to want to just listen to the whole thing. And I'd encourage you that, you know, to be kind of like the 1940s people that listen to radio, you know, just I would sit and kind of do nothing and just mm-hmm. listen to it because I, I think you'll appreciate and feel more connected to this question based on the way Rob brings it up. Absolutely. So gather the kids, bring them around the, uh, the radio and turn it up because uh, this edition of Why God Why podcast is going to be fantastic. Let's go. Welcome to the Why God Why podcast, brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Harry Gibbs. I'm a member at Browncroft, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Peter Engler, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, New York State Crew Director. Today's topic is Why God Why is the world so messed up if God is really there? Before we welcome in today's special guest, let's take a moment to summarize what we really mean by this question, guys. So I'll let Peter and John come on and explain a little bit about where we're going. I think this question in whatever form, you know, why is the world such a mess or why would a good God allow bad things? It's 
either the question everybody's thinking about or it's the question that people are asking. And I think what I'm most excited about today, um, we have our senior pastor, Rob Catalani, on, is I know that he's spent a lot of time thinking about this, not just theologically, but for his own life. Um, you know, I've heard him share about a season when he was in Kosovo uh, during the time when there was wars and stuff. And I don't think the Bible runs from this as much as the church does. John, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I am excited about having Rob here, not only as my pastor, but as uh, my friend. I am excited about having him here, and I think he will hopefully become a friend of everybody who's listening to the podcast as well. Uh, I think this this question is a major one for us today. I think that a lot of us are struggling with this. I would venture even maybe 10, 15 years ago, if you stopped half of the people on the street, half of them might say, well, yeah, the world's a pretty good place. Now, I think if you stop people on the street, almost everybody would say, yeah, this place is messed up. The world that we're living in is really messed up. And I don't know if it's because of social media. I don't know if it's the 24-hour news cycle. I don't know if it's, you know, all the catastrophes that we're seeing worldwide. But I know that that just something isn't right. And um, I, I'm looking forward to exploring that because like you were saying, Peter, I don't think the Bible runs away from that. I think it runs to it and actually encourages us to run to it as well. And so there really isn't a better person that I could think of to help us walk through this topic than. And uh, Rob Catalani, Rob, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. Great welcome, having Rob. you. Great to be here, guys. Looking forward to uh, having a conversation. Well, Rob, before we get into the questions, I think probably what our listeners would want to hear, explain a little bit of how you've engaged this question personally about God being in control in a messy world. Just share with us maybe a little bit of background. Well, I think like you had just said, both of you said, you know, um, I don't think the, I mean, as a pastor, I don't think the Bible um, runs away from this at all. I think we are subject, one, us and our listeners to perhaps being, um, you know, um, perfectly uh, or, or biblically illiterate, that is to say, you know, a lot of the people that, that are out there maybe um, guess they know what the Bible says or assume, you know, things, sort of street theology that, you know, if God is... Um, in heaven and he runs the world, then he ought to run the world in a particular way that is doesn't really address um, the, what the Bible has to say. That's one thing. And then as you just said, John, too, I think those of us living in 2019, we are living in a world that's increasingly our day, increasingly polarized and um, is subject to the kind of information um, experience through um, social media. I mean, two million people today, I understand, are on Facebook. Just, just use that one platform. Two billion people, which is, you know, a little less than a quarter of the entire planet is on one platform. So it's not just a question of what's happening in Rochester, New York today. It's what's happening in South America, what's happening in, uh, you know, North Korea, what's happening in um, Brexit, whatever the case may be, all of this is news to your average news, um, to your average person. So I think for those two reasons alone, um, the question of, you know, where is God and why is the world such a mess is um, it's not news to the Bible, and it's, um, but, it, but everything is in, in the palm of, of our hand, and the troubles that are across the world or across the state um, are in my face. Even what just happened um, 
in New Zealand. Okay, I've heard about that multiple times. In um, it's on the local news channel here in Rochester. When I was driving in today, there's a special hour program with the um, Islamic leaders of Rochester. Okay, well that wouldn't have happened maybe uh, ten or twenty years ago. That um, something that's literally across the world. Okay, on the other side of the world has become um, the news of our day. So that's the first thing I would say uh, is, is um, the Bible has for, um, you know, as long as the Bible's been uh, around, has talked about the world as a place where sin is, um, you know, runs free and, and, and the world is a place where there's, there's evil in the world and uh, God's calling us in an evil world to himself. Um, and, uh, but it's not, the world is the is always been that way, and and yet now we live in a, a a a place where the evil of the world, not just in our backyard, is 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 in our is in our face every day. Wow, that's so good, Rob. I, I, you know, as you're talking, a question comes to mind, and and maybe some people are are thinking this out there too. Is um, we talk about God being all powerful. Um, I was just a, I was just got back from a trip uh, doing hurricane uh, relief in Florida, and seeing the power of a of a huge storm roll through an area, and months later it's still you know devastated and people are still digging out. And I talked to a lot of homeowners when I was down there, and um, you know a lot of appreciation on their part. But then some people are really still you can tell are really emotionally grappling with this too. So if God is good, which we would believe in the Bible affirms, how can, how can he allow tragedy to happen at the same time? Like, how can a, a really good God allow a massive tragedy, whether it's, it's something like a natural disaster or like you were just describing that, that horrific incident in New Zealand, like how can... How can a good God allow that to happen? I think it's a that's his questions as old as the Bible itself, and, and and the short answer is I don't know the answer to that. You know, and I don't think anybody in uh, you know in a positions of um, thinkers, uh, certainly even ministers, have tried to. Um, I mean, some have, but um, ones that are are thoughtful about it wouldn't try to answer for God. I, I don't think we know the answer to that question, but I would say that. God has um, that God do believe God is good. The Bible affirms that. I also think the Bible affirms that man has free will. I also think the Bible affirms that you know that sin is uh, a lot of what happens in the world is is God has not authored it. Men have authored it, and the question might be why not so much why is God allowed evil in the world, but why Why has God not stopped the evil perpetrated in the world by men? And that's a good question. But um, I think, how can we reconcile God's love? I guess the best way I can say is that I think what Christianity offers us, what, what the Bible offers us, is not a simple answer to the God-evil question, but it does offer us, I think, uh, more than the than any other um, faith that I'm familiar with and I'm not an expert, or a secular point of view, it offers us much greater resources, not to answer the question of evil, but to deal with evil in the world or in my life. So I think my, my guess is, is that 
God has given us free will, and we live with the consequences of it, at least the temporal consequences. I can't speak what's going to happen you know, with great, at great clarity in the next life, although I believe in that. But, but the temporal consequences, I believe God has given us great resources to deal with it, to try to, um, to not only deal with it in my own life and in, in finding peace and strength and, um, and value in my, in my relationship with God and his values and in his ways and his, his resources, but also in trying to make a difference in the world. Some would say, I'm not saying this is from the top down or from the Bible, that you know, part of the reason God allows there to be a world in which there is so much chaos and evil is it's how his people, his, uh, not only the creation, all people, but the people called to follow him, it's how they learn what love is. It's how they learn um, to be um, um, fully human in the way he designed it, that we can only learn to love in a world that needs love. So uh, these are these are weighty questions, um, but I, I, I think that's at least part of how I get to this, um, make sense of it in my own life. Rob, I'm kind of curious, um, <clears throat> you know, just thinking, because I know you've, I mean, just from what you've said already, you've spent a lot of time with this question. And um, let's say I've never picked up a Bible before in my life, or if any, I've only heard like the pad Bible answers, like, um, I'm thinking of Romans eight twenty eight. Like, you know, my grandma says to me after like I get fired or dropped or something like God works all things out for good, which we know there's a time and a place for. But let's say I'm in a chaotic season of my life. Where might you point me to in scripture? And, you know, again, I, I don't think we're necessarily looking for a perfect answer, but like where in the Bible would you point to to say this is just a, a glimpse or a sliver of how God deals with this question. Well, it's a good question. I I think some uh, part of me wants to say nowhere in the sense of <laughs> I don't want to point you to a verse like Romans eight twenty eight. It's a good one that you mentioned. In the sense that I think when we when we um, treat the Bible like a answer book to cherry pick for answers is why in some ways we have a divided point of view, even within the Christian community, but in the world at large that tries to say Christians think um, one way and by because of this verse or what they say about this issue or that issue, you know, they, they, we become painted in a broad brush because we were looking for the Bible as an, as an answer book. I was saying to someone recently who um, was talking about the issues about, you know, all these um, gender uh, confusion and where does the church come down on these issues and people make instant decisions on where the church might be because of other things they say. And I was saying to this person, I said, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of um, um, uh, associations being made that aren't really true, a lot of street theology, a lot of, as you were saying, Pete, you know, people just um, assume certain things are true. They Just like they pick up Bible verses, they pick up ideas, like someone could listen to a sermon of mine, you know, you could probably just find a sermon, maybe a Easter sermon, okay? And um, because I said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, I could be considered anti-Semitic. Think about that. Because I just said that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, that's one verse and one sermon, 
and someone can go ahead and make that conclusion. But I would say, you know, that that I almost want to, it's almost laughable. I would not consider myself anti-Semitic, but because of someone cherry-picking that verse or listening to that sermon, they're going to make that. So I guess the, the, the my, my uh, uh, answer to your question, or if I had a more direct answer, I'd say, I don't want to give you a verse. I might say, sit down with a gospel. Mm. I think, you know, Jesus is the revelation of God, and he is God's um, answer, and he's God's um, son, and and he's he's just like just like I couldn't understand who you are or who your wife is in a sentence or three. Think of how hard it is to understand who God is. But I would say the best way from the standpoint of the Bible, someone said to me, how do I use the Bible to better understand who God is and what he's up to? I'd say, take some time, read a gospel, and spend some time asking and answering the question, who is Jesus? And in what way does Jesus, um, the person of Jesus, and the the gospel that's written about his life, what what does it say about who God is and what he's up to? Now, that I don't think you're going to walk away with all of your questions answered, but I think that's a better path than a verse of scripture or some verses that are directed to your question or to somebody's questions. This is the Why God Why podcast. Today's question is, why God, why is the world so messed up? And yet we believe God is still really there. Uh, we have our senior pastor here at Browncroft, Rob Catalani, here with us answering that question. And uh, Rob, I guess I want to piggyback a little bit off of that. So much of our audience is, you know, young adults uh, just coming out of college in a very um, mixed point as far as their identity and where they want to lead the rest of their life. And I think uh, a majority of the time when we're answering our questions, uh, we think about those individuals and we think about the struggle of uh, choosing the path of of Jesus and trying to relate it to this question. So this seems like the gotcha question for these individuals that is really hard for them to deal with when they're socializing with their friends and this topic gets brought up. How do we... Um, how, how would we guide someone in that conversation that they don't feel as though um, they're at a spiritual maturity level where they can reference scripture? And how would you have them, you know, come together in a community of relative non-believers and say, hey, let's give this a try? Like, how does that, how, how do we think that conversation can occur? Well, that's a great question. I, I'm. It's been a while since I was 21, and uh, and I'm not well, we'll sure. Let's be 25. Yeah, <laughs> at, and in in the sense of how do people do life together, and in, in people who have serious questions. Correct. A um, lot of things have changed. Technology has changed the world, and um, mobilization has changed the world, and the way people communicate with each other has changed. But that said, in some ways a lot has remained the same. I mean, what we're doing here right now, sitting at a table, I think if I were 25 or in, and maybe did not have a background or had some, you know, um, when I was a kid, went to church background, I'd want to get around some people who had the same question at least, right? Some people don't care. Maybe some people are not interested and they're, they're either just want to be critical because they're not that um, place in their life or... Maybe they're they're anti um, search, anti um, inquiry, in in a sense. Well, okay, I'd, I'd want to get around some people 
who had the same kind of questions I did. And then if I did, well, I think the resources are phenomenal, whether that's inside the church, um, we have some here in, um, in our church and churches like ours, or even sitting around with a good book. Um, there's tremendous opportunities to sit around, not only with a gospel like we talked about. I mean, uh, there's too many even to mention, but books from the very popular level um, to a more thoughtful level about the Bible that I would say, if people really cared, I think the search process is not that tough. And I'd pick up a, I'd get around with some friends and, um, and whether, uh, if I want to go to the church, there are resources or even outside, I'd sit around and, and have a conversation and, and, and engage some material. Yeah, that's really good, Rob. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in something that you said earlier, kind of sparked my attention a little bit. Um, you talked about kind of this aspect that God can even use these dark times, these tragedies, these things that we consider, you know, horrific, and they are horrific. He can use them sometimes in ways that are unexpected and, and kind of turn that into good opportunities for us to love at a deeper level. Um, when I was just because this is so fresh in my mind, the, just have this illustration in my head. I was in Florida doing this hurricane relief work. This guy that we were working on his house, his name was Randy. And I was just asking him my story to, to hit to his story, not my story. That would have been weird for me to ask him my story. Anyway, uh, so so uh, I was asking Randy his story. To my knowledge, he's not like a churchgoer or anything like that. But I was telling him, I was like, what was it like? Category four, maybe five, they were saying, the locals are saying, category five hurricane coming through there. I said, Did, were you out of town? Were you in a house? He said, no, I was in my house scariest thing I've ever been through. I said, well, well, how did the community react afterwards? He said, you know what? It was really weird, but we actually took care of each other like we've never took care of each other before. He said, as soon as everything passed, I fired up my grill and I had all this meat in my freezer and I just started serving everybody in the neighborhood. And I never knew the guy across the street's name, but we became really good friends after that. And he was just going one by one around the neighborhood talking about the experience of what it was like to go through something so traumatic together and how that brought them at a closer spot. Now, I bet you he wouldn't say, wow, throw me another hurricane, that, that, that was totally worth it. But there was something, even for somebody who I don't think was looking at it through a necessarily a God lens, but he was looking through it in a, in a lens of like, yeah, actually something can come out of that. Now, specifically when it comes to that, like in your own story, in your life, have you had times where you felt that way, where you've been like, you know what, I never, maybe it's not an actual hurricane, but I never would have chosen to go through this season in my life. But you know what, as I look at it, I see how God brought redemption out of that tough spot. Yeah, no question. I would say, uh, the idea of of having difficult times, whether it was in when I young life, when I think of when I was in in my when I became a Christian, really, I became a Christian out of out of out of great um, personal tragedy and um, and 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 hard times. My senior year of high school, going back in my in that transition, I went through a lot of um, difficulty. I um, was uh, you know partying a lot. Um, I uh, got a girl pregnant when I was in high school and uh, 
went went through that whole traumatic experience. I, you know, there was a lot going on in my life. And out of that, what felt like the end of my life, I came to a place and came to understand um, uh, people, people came around, came into my life, not only my family, but some other um, people who happened to be Christians. And um, really that community out of that tragedy came um, clarity and, com- and, and, some, and some help. And I can think of other times, you know, when I was in a couple, uh, in, in that same season of my life, in a couple of bad automobile accidents. And, you know, I'm just thinking of answering your question directly. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, difficult things that happened that really birthed community in my life. And, and then I had to make choices. I could have decided to um, rebound in a different way. But I would think the, the community aspect of people coming into my life and helping me understand um, that I was loved and cared for and and gave me some opportunities to develop some greater community, like you and I were just talking about, Harry, a minute ago into your question, am I making some right choices um, or to be around people who I think can help me think and make good choices for my life, that that's really made all the difference, you know? And even when I think on the grand scale, when you were talking about um, the hurricane, I mean, I don't know if this is many people who are who are 20 years old even remember 9-11, you know what I mean? I know that's been uh, almost 20 years ago, but people would tell you across the board that that brought this country together. Churches, synagogues, communities, where people did in a big way what you were ta- seeing in this hurricane, and they began to um, meet people they didn't know were you know in their life, or get to deepen with the people that were in their life, and realize that the resources of community were there not only for practical things, but to for deeper things. So I've seen that happen, hopefully to the place where I I do it on purpose. Now I don't wait for the tragedy or difficulty to come, and community has become such an important part of my life. Um, that it's made uh, all the difference, you know, for for being on the right path. Rob, um, I just really appreciate your authenticity. Um, so I guess my my question off of that, because I think people that are dealing with this question, you just shared a ton of stuff that you went through. And most people might step back and say, that's not the church I know. You know, if I if I went through crisis, if I went through something like that, can you tell us a little bit about the people that took you in and meant the most to you? You know, it's funny. I just was at uh, Roberts Wesleyan for just an event the other day and ran into a professor there who um, who was an old friend. I mean, I didn't. I just never see him because life goes on. And we we we. But I would. Say this was back in my college years when I just had came to know Christ, and my life had changed radically. And God just put him in my life. He, we just met on the college campus. He was a, he was a doctoral student. I was an undergrad, and um, I can honestly say that um, that friendship, um, which was at the time, was only intense for let's say some months, and then we moved on. And I've always stayed friends. He he helped direct major decisions in my life, and I ultimately I was going to go to law school. Uh, decided not to do that. Decided to take the path I did. Um, he introduced me to um, some other people who encouraged me to think about um, what I f- ended up feeling God was calling me to do. And I can look back and say the major fork in the road that I took um, at that season was because of that relationship and a few others. And and so, um, you know, and then I could just, then I, then I could go on from there. Some friends that I eventually moved to Dallas and, and who've been, you know, um, who 
I talked to as recently as the day before yesterday. I mean, people that God has put in my life dropped in there along the way that have been um, crucial conversations, um, significant influence. And, um, you know, you just look back and, and you look back on those key moments, transition moments. Sometimes they're tragedies. Sometimes they're just big decisions, fork in the road decisions. They're not always um, because of something horrible that's happened, but you're in a horizon and you need to go left or you need to go right. And and I could probably tell you, you know, seven stories, you know, in uh, of people who have been significant. Some people are still on my left, some people are not, but God had used them along the way. So I don't know if that's getting to your question, no, but yeah. So I, I just wanted to, to follow up on this because uh, Peter always jokes them the contrarian uh, for our conversation. So we need one. I, I, I have to yeah, fill yeah, my role. Yeah. Um, I, I think about today's culture, and I think that um, we we talk. Uh, the culture talks a lot about how you have to fail before you can succeed, and I think it's this like widely accepted like mantra, and people take it on every single day, and it allows them to do tremendous things, whether it's, you know, weight loss or, you know, quitting bad uh, substance abuses, whatever it may be that you have to, to, you know, crawl before you can run all these uh, analogies that get thrown out there. And when I hear your stories and I feel like we, we all at this table have these tremendous stories of um, seasons where it was dark and we found um, relationship with Jesus and, and it led us out of those moments and into a deeper uh, community, not only with him, but with those uh, around this table and in within um, our small intimate community. So I guess what I want to ask is, are we telling our listeners that you need to experience the messy to really understand God, understand um, Jesus? Well, um, I, I don't know if I'd phrase it that way, but um, in the sense That's that I'm... That's why you're not a contrarian. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that I should go look for it. You know, um, there's a verse in the New Testament, or some listeners may not, if they don't know it, you know, I think Paul's answering a sarcastic question, should, you know, if we sin more, will we get more grace kind of a thing? Should, should, we, should we get ourselves into trouble? And, and that there's sort of a logic to that question. But I think the answer is, in some sense, no. I don't think only people whose lives are messed up experience God's grace. That's kind of what you're saying. But I do think that, I think the, I think it was Tim Keller, if anyone knows that name, some, some people do, a writer in our day. Um, but, you know, he, he's always said something that impressed me to say, you know, whether it's difficulty in life, where is God when, it's, uh, when the world's so dark? Um, you know, why am I so lonely? Why do I seem to be on the wrong end of, of the opportunities? And, you know, he, in, in, in other words, I'm going to dismiss God because I've equated disappointment with life, with disappointment with God. And Keller said something like, you know, if we, if we didn't ha- served a God who didn't have the right to challenge us, you know, what kind of God would he be? You know, he'd be a God that's, you know, perhaps a little bit smarter than we are, but in our in our train of thought, you know, kind of a thing. So I do think that um, we experience God in the, in the world when we decide that we want to turn in his direction. I mean, I think that's the way the Bible puts it. God does not force himself on us. He, the, my understanding of the, the, the God of the scriptures is he absolutely loves us and is committed to us. And he wants more than a good parent would want 
their child to thrive. He wants you and I to thrive. In fact, exponentially more. But he does not want to, um, uh, he doesn't want robots. He doesn't want to put a rope around your neck. And so what it does require is that we willfully, this is what love is. Love is, is love and freedom go together. That I need to turn towards God um, because I want to, just um, like I do towards another person. And as we, and sometimes we don't do that until we've, our lives have fallen apart. I do not think it requires our lives to fall apart, but I think often um, that's the only way some of us come, or even those of us who are there, we go to deeper places when we experience greater sense of our own weakness and our own um, imperfection. I don't know if that answers your question, but. So, um, I don't know if you're getting ready for the podcast, but um, I was listening yesterday to the message, so I just want to point that out. But you were talking about a friend that you had, and um, I think it would be great for the podcast to hear maybe a little bit more. But the story you told was you're meeting with this friend who's who's younger, and just you know you've waited to say something to him, but he was talking about the world is just against me, and I think all four of us here at some points in our life we just feel like the world's all against us. If we were really ready to hear what not only the Bible has to say, but even what you'd have to say, you know, I think it'd be great for this podcast. I mean, think about all the people that are listening that thinks the world against is against them, even your friend that you were talking about. What would you say to them? Well, one, I'd say, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think any thinking person, you know, I think it was, um, the great T.S. Eliot, um, those of you remember the great American poet who said, this is a paraphrase, but he said, all thinking people, you know this quote, all thinking people um, will end up in one of two places, at the foot of the cross or at the end of a barrel of a gun. And I think what he meant by that was, it, it makes sense that if you live in this broken world, what's well, a metaphor we often use, uh, people use, the world is broken, um, the world has evil in it, that you, it's going to... Um, produce anger. It's going to produce frustration. It's going to produce, um, you know, depression and internal conflict. So one is we got to be real about it and say, part of the problem is we, um, we're, for some reason, we expect the world to be something different. Maybe that's where we started this podcast. You know, where, where do we get our ideas? Who, who told us, you know, that, that life was supposed to be easy? Who told us that life was supposed to be problem-free? Um, and so I think it makes sense to me that anybody, including my friend, would feel like, um, in a sense, he's gotten the shaft or things haven't worked out. But what I was trying to say is, you know, it's, it's, there's another great book I'm showing my age here, you know, the, the, uh, um, the Road Less Traveled, which was a huge book a generation ago. And the, 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 the opening line of that book has forever, uh, been um, memorialized, you know, life is difficult. But once you accept that truth, I think this is very biblical, Once then actually you can make some real progress. So my friend needs to understand, you know what, the world, um, it's a difficult world, but the truth is um, the world is not against you. Not every single person from the Starbucks lady to, you know, the, the, um, your, your employer um, is against you. Uh, the governor's not against you. So I think we need to wake up and realize it's a difficult, uh, broken world, but there's also hidden in plain sight, a lot of grace, a lot of opportunity. And um, and I think 
um, we that that's the first step in moving forward for anybody. And and I would go beyond that. We won't do that in this podcast, but talk about God's grace. But you know, I think I think God, and for reasons that I don't understand, is hidden in plain sight in this room, in this world, even in you know to Matthew twenty five in the most in the most broken and, and horrific uh, corners of the world. He's hidden in plain sight, but as our hearts need to be open to it. And if we are, it doesn't mean the next day you wake up and all's well. But I do think it's it, it's it's a ray of a ray of light that can 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 uh, open up to new possibilities. Wow, uh, Rob, as you're talking, it seems to me that that I'm I'm putting a couple pieces together of what you're saying, and it seems like what you're saying in some ways is that comfort, our own comfort, and our ability to love might actually be kind of opposed to each other. They might take us in different directions. If that, is that, is that? Oh, well, there's certainly that's true. And I think even people that are not Christian thinkers um, throughout history would talk about that, you know, going way back to, you know, whether it's the Greeks or the Romans or, or the, or the great thinkers of, of um, even the medieval era or our own, you know, enlightenment days would say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of a thing. And I do believe that um, even human growth and maturity even um, would would say to us that we grow, we mature, you know, um, how many roads does a man need to walk before he knows he's a man kind of a thing, right? To quote another uh, old great uh, thinker, right, poet, um, is um, it is about um, difficulty and learning that what was difficult for you yesterday becomes your avenue to a greater growth. So there's no... Now, the Bible, absolutely. Those people who aren't uh, biblically literate, the Bible talks about suffering, purposeful suffering. I don't think the Bible answers your big question, John, that you asked earlier, which is, you know, why does God allow evil in the world? I'm not sure I have an answer for that that would be satisfying, have some thoughts. But I think it does answer the question, um, is there... is why suffering? And I think suffering is very purposeful and can be purposeful for the reasons you say. It can, it can help drive um, the, 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 um, the, us to deeper priorities. It can help drive out some of the lower loves, to quote Augustine, that great thinker. It can help put us in touch with who we truly are and not with who we think we are. And um, so I think suffering can, um, can refine us, can clarify us, and help us become, in some ways, more truly human, because as we appreciate our own suffering, we also become more um, open, like you did when you just went to that hurricane uh, relief. We become more sensitive to see the suffering of other people. Maybe, I don't know, I'm off script here, but maybe one of the reasons sufferings in the world is our suffering helps us understand and appreciate um the suffering of other people gets us out of our own head. Maybe that's what it means to be human. Maybe that's what love, how love is created. So um, that certainly is true. There is purpose in suffering. And that's where going back to say, even though Christianity is not an answer to a question and it's not the answer versus the other answers, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. But I think Christianity offers resources that I don't see... um, are bettered in other um, ways, and suffering would be one of them. 
Rob, we like to conclude every podcast of Why God Why with um, bringing Jesus into the conversation and seeing how he would answer today's question. So uh, we will give you the final word. Uh, I'll let uh, Peter and John fight it, fight over the next uh, who's going to jump in first. But why, God, why is the world so messed up if God is really there? How would Jesus answer that? Well, I thought I thought Rob's suggestion to us in the very beginning about going to Jesus in the Gospels and looking at him, I think that is is really, really wise. And so one instance of Jesus in the Gospels pops to mind right off the bat as I think about this question. And it's a it's a time in which Jesus, one of his best friends, has died. And we aren't told how or why, but he was been sick for a while and, and he dies. And two of his other good friends, Mary and Martha, call him and say, hey, he's, he's really sick and, and that before he dies. And Jesus could have chosen to go to Lazarus before he died. Lazarus was the name of his good friend. And, but he doesn't. He waits. And... Um, he gets before to the house, and he's there in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he sees everybody crying and weeping, and he looks around, and the Bible just gives us this one little snapshot, this one verse that's so short, yet it tells us, in, in some sense, all we need to know about God. It says, Jesus wept. He sees the pain, and yet he leans into that and he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He actually does. But before he does that, he chooses to enter the grief of the people around him and weep. And I think that's beautiful about Jesus is he's not emotionally removed from us. He doesn't look at disaster or heartache and go, wow, that's, you know, if they would only look to me, then everything would be fine. Um, he, I believe, weeps with us when we weep. That's a picture of God that, um, to me, is extremely compelling and that I've returned to several times in my life for comfort. Um, so that's just one of the things that I... I... Yeah, I'm going to just kind of take a similar vein. And um, I just think what Rob said about looking at the Gospels and looking at Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible is powerful. I think sometimes the Old Testament gets a bad rap. And in Jesus's most um, remarkable moment of suffering, so he's hanging on a cross, and probably at some point we'll have a podcast episode on that. But just for this question, so much chaos in Jesus's life. He's hanging on a cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's in Psalm 22, and he's quoting that, and he's living out the suffering in this passage. And I don't think that that's necessarily an answer to the question, but I think it's a starting point to say that this question Jesus has experienced. And I think when we get to questions like these in Christianity, and you might wonder, why should I follow Jesus? Why should I go to church? Why should I even pursue it? Is, you know, and Maybe I'm biased, I probably am, but I just feel like Christianity, it doesn't say make yourself good enough to never suffer or do enough and God will cause your life to be great, but it's saying the Savior of your life has experienced pain in the worst way and can redeem it, and I think that that's a powerful starting point. So 
Rob, you get the last word, man. Well, I would say you just said a very important word, Pete, uh, in this redemption. And maybe that means nothing to some listeners. It, it has, it, 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 there's a definition outside of the Bible, but I would say that's key. And we tend to think of our lives as the center of the universe or our lifespan as the, as the um, totality of time and that makes sense. That's the world we live in. But the, 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 the biblical point of view says that our lives is not just the end of the beginning. I would almost say it's the beginning of the beginning. And you might say that just like uh, those of us uh, you know, on this podcast who um, have raised kids or remember your own uh, being a kid, um, you know, the, the, the way that your three or seven-year-old experiences disappointment, I mean, it's the end of the world when they can't watch a television show or have their friend over or whatever. I mean, literally a tantrum. Now, you know, as a parent, I mean, you, you, you might be one of the parents that's not even paying attention to that because you're, you're, your spouse is dealing with it. I mean, that's how insignificant it is. You care, but you know that all of that noise and all of that um, you know, uh, uh, emotion is really much ado about nothing relative to what's really going on. So I think um, not that God doesn't love us. You love your kid when he's crying over some insignificant thing. You just know it's, it's, it's not a big deal. And you're already way ahead of them thinking about the more important things. So I think um, we tend to judge ourselves by these moments, but I think suffering in, from the grand scheme, what seems like the end of the world to us, um, maybe 10 times in life, um, often turns out not to be if we live long enough, right? We get past them. And um, in God's eyes, I think they are used as a tool for our own uh, maturity and development. And then the last thing I would say is if to the Christians uh, or, or people thinking in those ways, suffering's at the heart of the gospel message. The cross, which represents the Christian message, is both, um, this sounds cliche, but it's, it's both the hard news, the hardest of news, which is um, you are guilty and broken and God had to send his son to die for you. You know, you are, I am, um, wholly sinful and depraved in a manner of speaking. But God also loved me that much. And so suffering is, in a sense, always in the forefront of our minds when it comes to understand the application of the gospel. So um, those are weighty things, but that's my answer to your question. Senior Pastor at Browncroft Community Church, Rob Catalani, thanks for joining us on the Why God Why podcast. My pleasure, man. Glad to be here. If you have any questions you would like Peter, John, or myself to address or would like to comment on today's episode, please check us out at whygodwhypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.